Hello, everyone. I'm Ronnie McBrayer, and I thank you for finding my podcast. Here you will find my regular talks, the occasional interview, hopefully a little light from the Enneagram time to time, and hear conversations with friends on the ever-changing, ever-evolving nature of faith. If you are burned out on religion, to quote Eugene Peterson's marvelous paraphrase, but your faith is still important to you, or if you consider yourself a spiritual exile with no real place of belief to call home, then I have you especially in mind, and I hope you'll stick around. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a simple man. I don't ask for much from this world. Comfortable shoes, strong coffee, good sunglasses. I'm not picky over much else. And I don't expect the world to accommodate me. I think that is the result of my raising. We didn't have much and we didn't expect much coming up. And I can say with some authority that no one at 149 Baker Circle out on Route 7, Calhoun, Georgia, could ever be accused of being spoiled. You worked hard, but you got what you got. There were no free lunches, no handouts, no gimme putts. Anything you had, you earned. The force of ye old Protestant work ethic was strong amongst we Scot-Irish hillbillies, as we knew the world owed us Nothing. And we need not expect anyone or any organization to adjust to our whims or our wishes. My mother had a favorite saying wherein this attitude was perfectly crystallized. She would say to me when I would complain, you are old enough that your wants won't hurt you. And as I can always remember her saying that, I must have become old enough at a very young age. My raising is still with me, and in me I don't expect anyone or anything to cater to me. I don't pine for the world to see it my way, to do it my way, or to make little old me the center of attention. But, I would like to ask the universe for one small favor. Actually, it's not the entire universe. It's just the economic and marketing complex of the soon-to-be mid-21st century. Would you please stop putting out Christmas decorations and singing Christmas songs on Halloween? It's too damn early, and I can make no compromises on this issue. I am a griping traditionalist here. You don't hang up Christmas lights or put up a tree or play Bing Crosby or Maria, Maria Carey Christmas records until after Thanksgiving. Thank you. Five or so weeks of holiday decadence, dirty Santa games, and wham's last Christmas, I gave you my heart. And ceaseless shopping should be enough to satisfy even the hardiest of capitalists. Enough is enough. And while we're at it, I don't want to see Valentine candy on the first day of January. I don't want to see egg, Easter egg baskets before Lent. I don't like Fourth of July fireworks in May or Halloween decorations in August. Please, I'm a simple man. 
comfortable shoes, strong coffee, good sunglasses, and this irresistible compulsion for all holiday celebrations to fall in sequence and then to remain there in their seasonably appropriate and assigned time frames. The war on Christmas is one of the most heated cultural battles of this late American republic, but if it were up to me, we wouldn't have a war or even a Christmas until Advent was on the nearest of horizons. Well, now that I've gotten all that off my chest, I have to make one more confession. I am nothing but a rank, obvious fraud. I am the worst of hypocrites. You can take everything I just said about Christmas being too early and throw it away. Because on this November 26th, the year of our Lord, 20 and 23, I have violated my own commandment. I have begun celebrating Christmas too soon. You heard and sang all those Christmas carols today. Baby Jesus, drummer boy, ho, 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 jingle, jingle. Should not have happened. I was off last Sunday. It was a nice break. But I was working behind the scenes, getting my end of year and winter sermon series together, taking care of a little travel, had to put a eulogy to paper for a friend, took a couple days working at the Rusty Goat Farm, getting songs in sequence for the season. And as I was readying myself for the Advent celebration, I was not a Scrooge. I don't want to celebrate too soon, but when it gets here, I'm ready. So I was getting ready, knowing that Advent comes rushing in on the Sunday after American Thanksgiving. And I've known this since those hard scrabble days of my youth. On the Friday after Thanksgiving, our family didn't go shopping. We all loaded into whatever jalopy Daddy had to be driving at the time, and we drove to town because that's when the city fathers lit the Christmas tree at the courthouse and turned on the downtown holiday lights that the electric department had been hanging up on only the two red lights and about four lampposts that we had in our town. But this year, there is an extra Sunday between Thanksgiving and Advent. I checked the Advent calendar over the last decade, this has only happened one other time. And it won't happen again until 2028. So if I'm alive in 2028, would someone please remind me that Advent does not begin until the first Sunday of December, not the last Sunday of November. And I kind of give myself some slack for forgetting that one Sunday 10 years ago because that was B.C., before COVID. And if you're like me, the COVID years are like dog years. There's like seven or eight of them in there. And having COVID as bad as I did, I can't remember anything anyway. So here I am firing off the starting line today with a false start. I had all the songs. I had the sermon. But this is not the sermon I had planned. There is no Advent wreath, no decorations. There's not supposed to be. There wasn't even supposed to be these songs. But Garrett's off today, and when I sent them to him on Monday, he checked out, and it was too late to pull them back. So I had to do something. I stayed with it. I double-checked the lectionary to send today's reading to Anna on Monday, and that's when I realized, Anna, that it was indeed the last reading of the church year, not the first. So here I am in my transgressions. I jumped the gun, and this year a simple faith gets five weeks of Advent, whether you want it or not. I love Advent, not capitalistic Christmas, but Advent. If you were raised Catholic or Episcopal, Anglican, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Methodist, or if you were at the First Baptist Church, it was usually just the First Baptist Church, 
not many of the others. You are familiar with Advent. We lesser Baptists <laughs> and free groups, Pentecostals, Church of Christ and whatnot, that wasn't a part of our celebration. I introduced Advent to the last Baptist church I pastored in Georgia and a few folks had a conniption fit thinking that votive candles and Latin chanting and a picture of the Pope would be hanging in the vestibule any minute now. And that's too bad. There's hardly a better season in the church calendar to celebrate than Advent. And the best that we can tell, Advent has been celebrated in Western Christianity, Western Christians being Europeans and, and in the Americas, We've been celebrating it for about 1,500 years. Way back in the 400s, in Tours, France, a group of monks took up the spiritual habit of fasting during December in preparation for Christmas Day and the Christ Mass. An interesting aside, this was about a century after Christmas was finally established by the Roman Church on December 25th. For the first couple centuries of the church's existence, Christmas was willy-nilly all over the place. Some celebrated it in the spring. Some celebrated it in the fall. Some celebrated it in winter. December 25th was the celebration of the winter solstice in the Roman Empire. And so the early popes, in an accommodating stroke of cultural appropriation, commandeered that date to celebrate not the sun, S-U-N, but the sun, S-O-N. And we would do well to remember that in the midst of all of our Christ Christmas wars and the calls to put Christ back into Christmas, it might humble some cultural warriors a bit if they understand that this celebration did not originally belong to Christians in the first place, but to those who we considered as pagans. But back to those monks. December 25th was coming. The Christ Mass in which the birth of Jesus would be celebrated this, they felt, required some prep work. This was no regular Sunday Mass. This was different. So they began that December routine of fasting, preparing their hearts and their minds. They would celebrate the birth of Jesus, the actual incarnation of Christ being born in Bethlehem. They would prepare themselves for Christ to enter their own hearts and their own community as they gathered around a communion table. And they would ready themselves for Christ to return again. To come to earth as they understood and establish the final kingdom, the kingdom of God. And from there, that little group of earnest brothers, the Advent tradition took root all over Europe. And of course, eventually, it would be brought to the Americas and is celebrated all over the world by Christians of all groups and all denominations, save for those strict Puritans or those who find it to be too Catholic or not found anywhere in the New Testament. And I think that is their loss. And I'm speaking of my own tradition and experience because the symbolism and the spiritual discipline of the season is too marvelous to ignore. The way that it can open our eyes to God coming into the world is too important to leave uncelebrated. Some of those traditions. It begins for many churches with what they call the hanging of the greens. Have you ever heard that phrase? The hanging of the greens. The first time I heard that, I thought, who are the greens and what did they do so bad that they're going to get hung up at church? But it's decoration. Evergreen decorations. We know it in A Christmas Carol, deck the halls with boughs of holly, fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. Holly or pine or cedar 
or magnolia. The evergreen is the sign of unending, never-ending life. And it is another adaptation of the church. We borrowed it from the Nordic peoples and the Vikings. Their tradition of decorating with green during the winter solstice. Believing that they would survive the dark cold winter and life would return again. And then there are the colors. Deep purple or violet signifying the arrival of the one true king. The reign and royalty of Jesus. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come, as Anna read today. In the Protestant tradition, sometimes we replace purple with blue. Like the color of the sky, reminding us that redemption draws near. The king will return. We should lift up our heads and seek him. And then, of course, the centerpiece of the Advent celebration is around the table around the Advent wreath, a creation of Lutherans from Germany in the 1500s. There are five candles lit throughout the season. Paul said, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope God has given to you who believe. We also heard this morning. And Paul added, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. And the symbolism is thick here. Candles lit as light to the world, light to God our way, light cast into our hearts, all embedded in the holly and the ivy and the evergreen branches of the wreath, speaking again to the power of God that gives eternal, unending life. Light and life brought together in the gloomiest and coldest season of the year, reminding us that light and life will have the final say, not death and darkness. And to these specific candles, there are five. They are purple or blue, the colors of Advent. One is pink, one is white. The white candle is always the Christ candle. It is ignited last on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day the culmination of the month-long celebration. The pink candle is always lit on the third Sunday of Advent, the candle of joy. The remaining three move about. I try to stick to the oldest tradition, hope, love, joy, and peace in that order. But there's no hard and fast rules there. Sometimes it's hope, peace, joy, and love, and sometimes it's prophets and Bethlehem and shepherds and angels, and sometimes it's faith, hope, joy, love, but the major themes remain the same. It is an opportunity to turn our attention away from the ads and the hype and the incessant commercialism and the strife and the stress. And we are drawn to light and to hope, to love, to joy, to the peace of God in Christ. Promised by the prophets, born in Bethlehem, witnessed by the shepherds, celebrated by the angels. And made ready for all of us if we are ready to receive it. Advent does not offer us an escape from the world. But it does provide a much needed respite. A season of retreat. To remember and to celebrate all that is good and holy and joyful and loving and peace bringing. We have more than enough of the other stuff. The dreadful, 
the vile, the filthy, the depressing, the hateful, the war, the violence. You can fill every day of your calendar with these things and just wallow in it and stew in it like a big cauldron of the God-awful. Can you take a few days, a few weeks, to turn toward all that is true and noble and right and pure and lovely? Can you allow this season to produce in you just a bit more love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness? Because that's what it's for. These days could rejuvenate you, not exhaust you. These days could focus and realign you as the church calendar intends. This is the beginning of the church year, not the end. These days if treated with just a smidgen of the care that those early French mucks gave it, could rest your soul, quieten the noise, and still some of the restlessness. Well, if we're going to use Advent for that purpose, then jumping the gun isn't a bad idea at all. Let's go ahead and get to it. Not more and more hustle and bustle, but waiting Centering, preparing, resting, recovering. Because Lord knows we all need it from just living in the world such as the one that we have made. Almost ten years ago now, and I had forgotten this until Gary Fleming had reminded me. But almost ten years ago, it was the spring of 2014. And if you were living here then in Santa Rosa Beach... You might remember that we had weeks of unending rain. And there was a large amount of flooding that, that spring. And some of you will remember you, that you suffered from it. Gary and Rhonda Fleming, longtime friends of A Simple Faith, who have now returned to Texas to be near their children and grandchildren. Actually, to be honest, I don't think they care much about being near their children. It's the grandchildren part that they have been lured back to Texas for. Well, their house flooded in the spring of 2014. They had a foot of water in their house. When they opened the door, Gary told me that he opened the front door and the water swished and his vintage Martin guitar was just floating by. And he was able to rescue it, however, and, and restore it. Well, things being what they were then and what they are now, it's sometimes hard to find skilled workers that will show up on time. Can I get an Amen. So Gary is a real type A, go-getter kind of guy. And he decided that it would be a wonderful idea for he and Rhonda together to have a bonding experience of tearing out all the flooded stuff themselves. So they began cutting a foot up on the, all their sheetrock throughout their entire house, dragging it all up, tearing up all the flooring. And if you've ever taken on a project like that, you know that you're only a couple days into it before you realize, I have bitten off far more than I can chew. And that's where they found themselves, but they had started, so they persevered, and flooding waters, and they're trying to stay in the house, and rip out the house, and in the middle of all this, Rhonda got the shingles. Now, shingles is a nasty thing. It's dormant chicken pox virus, that attacks a linear string of nerves in your body 
and it results in a fiery, excruciating set of blisters on your skin. My experience a few years ago was one of an itchy bug bite or poison oak on my back that transformed into what felt like a hot poker being laid against my skin and finally acquired the sensation of having a cheese grater repeatedly drug across my back. Get the vaccination. Rhonda had this exact experience, but the virus attacked her cranial nerves, the right side of her face, neck, scalp, her right ear. It reached a point that the right side of her face became paralyzed, and they began to search for tumors, neurological disorders, syndromes of all terrifying proportions that no one should ever Google and read about. Rhonda ended up confined to bed, essentially blinded in her right eye, desperate, depressed, all while Gary searched for answers and treatments and a little hope. And he wrote to me to say what had happened. It's a couple paragraphs, but it's worth hearing. One afternoon, Rhonda looked at me and said in desperation, I don't know how much more of this I can take. I knelt beside her, and pleaded with her to hold on and made what felt like an empty promise that she was going to get better. Not today, but that she was going to get better. She took her medication shortly afterwards and dropped off, dropped off to sleep. I went out to the front yard and started pulling weeds out by the curb. It was a mindless task, but at least I felt some level of control over the weeds. Now there's a type A personality right there. As I was sitting on the curb, a dove landed in the street about 15 feet from me, started picking up tiny pieces of gravel. Dove utilized gravel to help grind up the seeds that they hold in their crop. I didn't pay a lot of attention to it until it began to get closer, which was a bit unusual. It continued to get closer and closer until it was within five feet of me, unafraid. I went into the garage, got some bird seed, tossed some seeds along the curb, and she quickly found them. Then, amazingly, she began eating out of my hand and nestled into the palm of my hand. I was able to pick her up. She, she allowed willingly. I walked back into the house with her. I woke Rhonda up and said, someone is here to visit you. The dove, which we named Hope, returned to our flower bed next to the front door every morning for the next five days and would come in and visit Rhonda. The very afternoon that Hope appeared, Rhonda began to get markedly better. A day or two later, she was able to walk outside to see Hope in her natural environment. Hope flew up and landed on Rhonda's head. Ultimately, appointments were made. Her vision began to return Expedited neurological testing ruled out other conditions. Medication was found that helps control the virus as far as flare-ups go. And after those five days, we never saw hope again. And as I finally reached the end of this, I have concluded that although I am sending this to you, it was really meant for me all along. Hmm. Oh, that the hope of Advent 
could visit us all something like that and could bring some healing to us all. That is what Advent is meant for. And while I am a week early, I don't think there's a better time to get started.